Welcome everybody to Cloud Conversations with Rue and Pete. This is episode 18. Uh, my name is Peter Rising. I am delighted to be joined as ever by my partner in crime, Rue Campbell. And uh, how are you today, Rue? How has things been going? Yeah, all good here. Uh, you know, kind of like every other person in the country just trying to cope with the heat wave. Mm. Uh, Al, our guest, we'll introduce in a little second. He was just kind of making me jealous, saying that down his neck of the woods, things are getting a little bit better. Uh, and I can't wait for that. So if you start seeing uh, sweat patches on my T-shirt mm. and all that, as we record, that's why, because uh, it's blimmin' roasting up here. Mm. That's why anyway. I always wear black. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I like your style. That's... Uh, that's problem solving. That's what that is. Mm. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, let's uh, let's storm ahead. So uh, we're joined today by uh, Al Erdley, uh, who recently started with Microsoft as a modern work and security technical architect. Prior to that, working with CPS as a solutions architect, I believe, or head of something like that. I know it was quite a workplace. Head, head, of, head of something, yeah. Modern yeah. workplace and power <laughs> platform and yeah, various things. Great stuff. Many so, Nice to have you, Al. Can you uh, just kind of give folks a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I've, I've joined Microsoft about, what, three months ago now? Um, so I joined in the, the Microsoft Technology Center, which is um, one of the few places in the UK that is a, a cross-functional area. So it gives me an opportunity to kind of use a lot of my modern work, security, compliance, power platform experience, and, and really help customers understand how they can use the the technology, um, giving them sort of immersive experience and deep technical um, guidance as well. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a journey over the last three months. Just yeah, joining Microsoft, I knew it'd be interesting. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been fantastic. So yeah, really interesting way to spend uh, spend your time day in day out working with some really interesting clients. Mm. The you. MTC. Now I always think the Microsoft technical community for that. So we've got some acronym yeah. wars going on there, but so it's the Microsoft Technology Center and the MTC. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I know, I know what you mean. There's, you know, as with Microsoft, if you've worked with Microsoft, you know, I worked with Microsoft for well over 10 years on the other side in the partner space. And yeah, you kind of get to hear all of these, uh, all of these TLAs, the three letter acronyms mm. and yeah, jumping into it. It's kind of like, okay, I need to actually know what they mean now. That's, that's mm. the first challenge. You know, what, what do people actually mean? Um, with all of these acronyms for sure and how have you found joining microsoft in this era that we're in i mean obviously microsoft has really set the tone for kind of helping folk get through this remote work thing so how's the onboarding process been and everything for you it's so it was it was really interesting because the the technology center is kind of isolated. It's got its own sort of space dedicated to it within at TVP in, in Reading. Um, and the first day I actually went into the office, which was, you know, it, it was longer than I'd not been into CPS where I used to work before for, for so long. So it was kind of weird to a starting a new job, but also going into the office as well. Um, but we've been going in um, a few times, you know, we've been doing stuff around hybrid working, um, and presenting stuff, so we've got a sort of a dedicated sort of envisioning theatre that we can we can all be in and be socially distanced and actually present from as well. So we've been we've actually been going in more over the last couple of months than I did, you know, for the the previous year. Um, which yeah, it's I mean it's 
it's good. It's you know, I've actually met the team. I know how tall they are and everything. You know, it's really, it's really good. <laughs> that um, is so funny because um, Rue and I have both recently started at a, a at a new partner as well, the same, the same place. And um, one of my team, I, I head up a modern workplace team. I was talking to him yesterday, and he says, "When when you meet me, don't be shocked because I'm six foot seven. So yeah. <laughs> you just don't know, do you? You just see people from yeah, all you see, all you see is the chest up, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. But I can't imagine going into the offices. How, how have you found the commuting? Because I, I remember you saying to me not so long ago, the first time you went in, I think you hadn't driven for so long for oh. a, a period of time that you didn't your right foot hurt. Yeah, my right, <laughs> my right leg hurt from actually yeah, using it. It's like okay, I've you know I've been driving a little bit to go to go out and go walking and stuff. But yeah, it was kind of like oh, I'm actually on a motorway and actually doing stuff, going somewhere. But uh, the commute's mm. been fine. I mean, it's. One of the reasons I took the role is, you know, I live close enough to Reading and close enough to Paddington that I can get mm. to both places quite quickly and easily. Um, so the, the commuting's not been too bad. The traffic, I don't think, is anywhere close to, to pre-pandemic levels. So uh, that's that's always good. Yeah, I don't miss I don't miss long distance driving or anything like that. Mm. It was never never a fun part of the role. Yep, agreed. No. Yep, definitely. Agreed. You got to assume that a lot of the the space we are in and a lot of our viewers are in, which is kind of, you know, consultants are the partner space. You have to assume that even when things go back to normal, whatever that looks like, the travel has to fall, you know, uh, both yeah. for our well-being and then also the, the expense and the time and all that stuff that we'll just save. I mean, I think so many organizations have probably realized how much they were investing in having consultants on site. You know, it there was always the sort of the sum some organizations who wanted to have bums on seats so they could see that stuff was happening but then there are other organizations who are saying well actually you know come down when you're doing workshops when it's really important and then we don't really want to pay for the expense of you coming down and just being here or we don't have the space and i think you know a lot of organizations are now realizing they can engage remotely as well as have their staff remotely and you know when you start to give them the prospect of yes you've got to pay for hotels for for consultants and partners to be on site that will put them off because they'll be saying well actually it's a whole lot cheaper without that cost so yeah i think there'll be a lot less travel and you know environmentally a lot more organizations i think are thinking about the environmental impact that you know the statements they want to be putting out is how they help the environment not how they mm. force people to to travel so far every every week yeah absolutely and you know air travel is such a big contributor to that you know so if you could put out in your public statements that we're reducing our business air travel by xyz miles that's going to help yeah Mm, it's got to be a good thing hasn't it without a doubt now one thing i want to ask you actually al is much like a a, a, another recent guest of ours jimmy vaughan you uh in joining microsoft had the um difficult i would imagine decision of of, uh having to give up retire your you're a former MVP now. Give up your Microsoft MVP. How how was that for you? Is that something you you, you found difficult, agonised over, or? Um, it was some. It was definitely part of the decision making process because it's as you as you know, it's not it's not an easy thing to achieve the MVP mm. status. Um, but on the other hand, I knew that you know actually the reason that I became an MVP was not to become an MVP it was because I was doing things that I enjoy in terms of the community work mm. so you know the running user groups presenting at conferences presenting at user groups you know I have made use of the community for you know forever um, and giving back seems like the right thing to do so the MVP status was actually you know 
something on top of that, which was a bonus. Um, but actually, the part that I enjoyed is is actually presenting. Um, and I think, you know, as an MVP, you get more contact with the product groups and things and joining Microsoft, you kind of that's balanced out. So, mm. yeah, it wasn't it wasn't actually it was a consideration, but a very, very short consideration because actually, you know, I'm mm. want to carry on doing what I was doing before. And, you know, part of the, the role that I'm in is is evangelizing what we do. Um, in terms mm -hmm. of Microsoft, but also, you know, carrying on and, and having a, a profile that that is um, hopefully reasonably good, um, but also sharing sharing the knowledge. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it wasn't too much of a too much of a, a factor. <laughs> how uh, just kind of reversing a little bit? How did you end up in the kind of tech industry or the space that you're in at the minute? Uh, doing my kind of pre-show stalking of your LinkedIn. I pieced together a few of these things, but there's always an interesting backstory there. So how did you start <laughs> yeah. your career? Um, well, this goes back quite a long way because uh, I, I originally, when I finished school, was thinking I was going to be doing mechanical engineering. And uh, so I started a degree in mechanical engineering. So I started a, a what was that one? That was a, that was a BNG in mechanical engineering. So a Bachelor of Engineering. Um, and I found it really boring. Um, you know, I enjoyed the maths, but it was really quite dull. So I stopped doing that. And my parents said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. Um, and so we went to something to try and work out where my aptitude was. Uh, and they said, well, yeah, engineering's great, but you need something more creative. So like a pendulum, I went from one side way over to the other, and I did an art foundation course. So... Ooh completely different from engineering um but i was kind of making sculptures out of based on equations so taking newton's laws and hook's laws and making sculptures so really kind of taking the engineering stuff but using it artistically and then i actually started a ba bachelor of arts in jewelry design so you know the the pendulum had really swung the other way wow, but then yeah. they they so I want to do stuff on sort of locks and keys and mechanical based stuff. And they said, no, you've got to paint and use color and, you know, paint nature. And I was kind of like, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. This, this, isn't, this isn't really going to work. And at that point I was like, well, what, what am I going to do? You know? So I figured actually computers, this was what the early nineties, I figured computers was probably a good place to, to go because there's going to be some engineering and there's going to be some stuff that's going to be creative. So I then did, started on the third degree, Bachelor of Engineering uh, in computer engineering. And so did that and, and uh, yeah, managed to land on my feet coming out of that and got a job um, doing sort of uh, programming and databases um, managed to then move into you know just as the web was starting to take off into looking after a, an online application um so this was back about 2000 uh looking at what would what would now be called a SaaS solution uh back in the days before you had the cloud and before you had SaaS. Hmm. um so yeah a lot of development a lot of databases bi design um and then yeah weirdly whilst i was doing that i started going to conferences and sql bits and things like that for the bi side of things and i saw sharepoint being used to demonstrate presenting the bi stuff and so i was like sharepoint now that looks like quite an interesting tool so this was what 2007 8 um so i then 
yeah, made the jump to move over to using SharePoint and and actually, yeah, started started in a consultancy actually as a project manager, weirdly, um, <laughs> the SharePoint consultancy, and then found that I knew more technically than a lot of the, the staff that I was working with. Um, <laughs> so gravitated back towards the technology and haven't really looked back since, um, you know, in terms of looking at all the Microsoft stack, the whole, the whole of the sort of SharePoint ecosystem and how that's evolved into uh, what was then BPOS and then Office 365 and now Microsoft 365. I'm um, picking up all sorts of bits and pieces along the way. So, yeah, awesome. I, it's, it's, it's been a bit of a journey, you might say. Um, but it's been quite yeah. interesting because it's that creativity part has always served me really well for, you know, using tools like design thinking and designing things, you know, that that's always served really well. I was going to say, yeah, because can kind of hearing it back and you mentioned how you found that I think the word you used was kind of boring around the, the engineering side. And then you mentioned you moved into database development. And in my head, I'm kind of bouncing <laughs> those things off each other <laughs> saying, how can that be more exciting? But then the creativity part of it's interesting because I guess at the end of the day, it's, it's problem solving, but you're putting your own mold on it, going back to the sculpture think, thing, right? Yeah, and I think every you know, every developer is a problem solver. You know, every developer is trying to work out actually how do I develop something that's going to carry out a function, and what tools do I have, and how do I bring those pieces together into a solution that's going to work. So, by its very nature, development is problem solving, um, mm. and you know, the more creative you can be, the more interesting your solutions are. And that becomes mm. even more important now when you're sort of thinking about all of the tools that are available. You know, back in, you know, when I started development, I'd be given, right, here's your database. Here's your, your one programming language that you can use and your one stack of services that you can use. Go build a solution. Now, you know, I look at clients and I say, okay, well, what's your problem? And they say, oh, well, I need to, you know, scan ID cards and work out whether somebody's entitled to something. Okay, well, so you could be using a mobile device. You could be using, you know, the Power Platform. You could be using cognitive services. You could be scanning images. There's so much choice that you you have to be quite creative in how you bring all of those those decisions together to come up with the right solution that's going to work, going to be cost-effective, going to be supportable, all of those sorts of things. So it's quite mm. an interesting creative challenge now that I think most IT folks are more creative than they give themselves credit for because they are mm. assessing everything and making a decision. Mm. And I think you have to be quite adaptable as well, don't you, uh, in, in the IT industry because it's always changing and evolving. And, I, and I, that, in a sense, does not surprise me that so many people we talk to on the show have a similar story to you and that where they've ended up is not where they planned starting out so they've adapted and changed and uh, and adjusted along the way so you, you we hear so many similar stories it's quite yeah. remarkable i think it's so much easier to find things you don't like doing than to find things you do like doing if you get that first yeah. time you're really lucky aren't you but i yeah. think that's it isn't it most people don't know when you're young you don't know what's available out there you don't yeah. know what the opportunities are what you want to do, and a lot of it we find so often, certainly it was in my case, and in so many of the stories we hear, it's luck and timing, right place at the right time, yeah. uh, and just grabbing that opportunity when it, when it comes your way, and, yeah. uh, and betting on yourself. That, that's, Abs- that's the real Abs- key to it. Don't be afraid to put your hand up and volunteer for something that's pushing your comfort zone. 
you know, exactly. I mean, that's that's one thing that I've always kind of gone. That looks quite yeah. interesting. I'm going to spend the time finding out about that, and then I'm going to try and bring it back and go. And this will help us in some way. Mm. Um, which you know, and that's also, I've always always asked all of my staff, anyone who's worked for me, to go. Put your hand up. Don't be afraid because oh, you'll exactly. never learn and develop. Yeah, exactly. No such thing as a stupid question. Yeah, for sure. And I know one thing that Pete's kind of always told me is, you know, if you're maybe you can't necessarily do something at the minute, but let's say you want to be able to do it, just don't say you can do it, but volunteer, you know what I mean? And just be, just put the work in, figure it out, mm-hmm. and then go and do it. Because uh, yeah. you have to, in a way, if you volunteer to then start doing something that you're maybe not entirely comfortable with, it lights a spark under you where you get that in a way that kind of good stress where you're like, okay, I really need to get on top of this. Yeah. And then deliver it. Yeah. And it gives you such a buzz when you achieve that, doesn't it? It gives you that extra buzz that you've done something out of your comfort zone and, and achieved that. And it's really special. Yeah. Getting something working is one thing, but learning how to do it from scratch is a whole yeah. different achievement, isn't it? That you kind of go, that was great. I can now do that. Yeah. Um, but then I think, you know, in this day and age, there are no experts. You know, I've been, doing this for a very long time but actually i know people who are you know 20 years younger than me who've been doing some of this technology for exactly the same amount of time that i have and know far more about it you know there's no there's no expert in terms of well you know give me 10 years of power platform experience you can't do that now Um, and that's the thing everybody who's learning they are equally as experienced and as those of us who are uh, slightly longer in the tooth but you know, yeah. we maybe have slightly different experience, but they yeah. know the technology. Well, this is I think something that's so that, true. Yeah, so this true. is something that when me and Pete had uh, Tej Lacom on the show, and he was, he, I can't remember his age off the top of my head. He can quite jump young, in. And, yeah, yeah frighteningly, quite, quite, frighteningly young. <laughs> absolutely. But then I think about something like Azure Sentinel, which he does a lot of work with, uh, yeah. and, and it's quite a young product in itself. So yeah. it's this whole, this constant rate of change and evolution in the cloud. You know, the guys who have been working in IT for 20 years, they've maybe got more of experience in terms of the soft skills that you need. But in terms of the tech stuff, it's really quite, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's certainly achievable to become an expert in some new piece of tech relative to other folks now, just because of the rate of change. I think, you know, the experience, you know, you talk about experience and then you talk about wisdom. And if you talk about experience, you've got five years of experience, but you've got 20 years of wisdom. Mm. You know, and the wisdom is the application of that experience to certain situations. Um, and if you think about, yeah, Tice, he's got five, you know, however long he's been working with Sentinel for the last what, two, three years since it's been out. But other people might have more experience of using SIEM systems and the security and the, the use and the application. But he's mm. got the technical experience. And you've got to have a, that complement, don't you, to say, actually, how can we bring those two sets of experience together, both the the long-term wisdom and the, the, the technical experience that mm. way you you get yeah a superpower out of that which is you know the application of it which is great yeah. i find that principle applies to some of the customers that we work with as well when you're working on modern workplace digital transformation projects you've got to take in mind the whole workforce from a generational standpoint how it's going to affect those users because many of them will be uh, a bit longer on the tooth like my good self um <laughs> of, of a certain generation and then you've got more more young guns coming out uh, who have um, grown up with technology. They've learned that at school, they've, it's just something that 
they're, they're familiar with and more comfortable with than, than, than other generations, shall we say. Um, and you've got to take that in, into consideration when putting these new technologies in front of, uh, of mm. your customers, how they're going to react to that. It's interesting to see how, how people find it more challenging than others sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? You're always mm. going to have different audiences who are going to have different challenges when they're adopting some of this. Yeah, you know, I remember mm. working with a uh, an organization, a charity, and they were trying to get this, this tool ro- rolled out. And it was difficult for them because their users, they really weren't interested. They wanted to just mm. get on and do the job that they were passionate about, not worry about the technology. And so it was a real challenge to actually to do that change and adoption piece. The technology was fine, but it was just getting it implemented, which was a challenge. Mm. Yeah. And I, I found that as well. I worked on a project recently with a number of academic institutions on Azure MFA. And you find that as well insofar as for folks who, you know, let's say they've grown up with the kind of uh, consumer services where they're MFAing to get into their Amazon, their eBay, their bank, that's all fine. Then the folks that maybe haven't grown up with that and aren't familiar with that, you ask them to install an app on their phone to do with work and it becomes a bit, oh, you can oh, spy yeah. on me now, you know. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My and guess that's... is these things will flesh out over time, but it's it's a challenge to overcome. Yeah, and it's the uh, it's that. Well, why do I have to put something on my phone? This isn't this is my phone. This isn't your phone. This is this isn't yeah. to do with work. This is my personal phone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I always <laughs> I always have fun with that conversation because it's like, well, you know, uh, you, you drive to work in your own car. You know, you you do things that are your, your personal property, but they're still associated with your work. You know, it's not like the work has to, well, your employer has to buy you a bus to get to work. We don't have to buy you a phone just because we need you to MFA. And it is, it's a cultural thing and it's a generation, generational thing, I think. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I'd like to talk a bit about gray hat beard. So much like Rue and myself, you are a part of a, um, a, a similar uh, podcast stroke YouTube show, whatever you want to call it and have to congratulate yourself and Kev and Gary, who you, um, have that show with on on being recently nominated for the Commsverse best cod well, cod past cod past, <laughs> cod past. That's, a, that's a new one. Yeah. There you go. There's a spoonerism <laughs> for you. Podcast award, which is richly deserved. There was a lot of strong competition in that in that category, but uh, it was great to see you guys up there. But tell us a little bit about Greyhead Beard, uh, who who your your partners in crime are with that, and how it came about, and what you're looking to do with it. Oh, so Greyhead Beard came about what about? almost 18 months ago, I think. Um, At the time, Kev, Gary and I were all working in the same place. um, And we all, you know, enjoyed having conversations about technology, um, you know, discussing what was going on. So, yeah, Kev came up with the idea of having having a podcast. Um, The name was kind of, yeah, I tend to wear a hat if I'm out and about. Um, Gary's got a beard and Kevin's got grey hair, you know, quite simple. but yeah, I mean, we, we started it to focus on sort of modern work, Microsoft 365, and to really just have a conversation about what was going on, what was what we were thinking about, what was happening in the news, because there's always so much going on, isn't there? There's, you know, the, the roadmap, but there's also things that were catching our eye that we thought was interesting that people would be interested in. Um, and then we started bringing guests in to, you know, to have it about certain subjects. Um, and yeah, it's it's been something that we've really enjoyed doing um it's great for us to 
you know, keep abreast of what's going on. Um, we all kind of have slightly different areas of interest as well. So we can bring together quite diverse conversations and news articles. So, you know, sometimes you'll hear, you know, Kevin and Gary talking more about development and I'll be just mm. somewhat more quiet because uh, I'm <laughs> not, allowed to, not allowed to do development anymore. Um, and then sometimes we're talking about security and compliance and, you know, all power platform, you know, it's, we like to be quite diverse about what we're talking about um, and basically just have a good natter and just see, you know, where the conversation takes us. Um, and it's, yeah, I think it's proved, it's proved reasonably popular. Um, but actually, you know, we just enjoy having a, having a chat every couple of weeks and just, you know, getting together. And, you know, since I've moved to Microsoft, it's, it's a great way for us to stay in contact and to, you know, carry on having our, our conversations Um so yeah, it's it's good. It's and it also gives us a chance to bring people in and have more interesting conversations about areas that we don't necessarily know so much about. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, speaking selfishly, when myself and Peter had that initial discussion about starting a podcast, I just looked at it very selfishly and I thought, well, even if we don't get any viewers, it gives me a chance to talk to some folks, you know what I mean? And yeah. meet people, yeah. find out stuff I don't know anything about. I can I can phrase questions in a way that i'm asking on behalf of other folks so i don't look like the person asking the stupid question <laughs> asking for a friend <laughs> yes yeah exactly so yeah no it's, it's just a great experience and one thing i really like about your show is it's just geez how would i describe it it's a very easy listening show you know i can just mm -hmm. kind of put it on in the background while i'm working and at the same time you guys go through all the recent news and all that kind of stuff which is a uh, it's nice it's just nice to keep in the loop with that i think it's it's always interesting because the when people listen to podcasts you know when they're commuting was a, a very popular time and now i think it's funny there's there's more podcasts now but there's more people listening to them you know when they're exercising when they're you know as you say in the background so i think it's it's quite a it's a good way to stay up to date with everything when you're not necessarily you know just stuck to twitter or linkedin or what other other sources you know it's great to to kind of hear about what's going on and that's that's really useful for a lot of people, I think. You know, just to understand the technology and where where changes are coming. Mm. And I like how you make it accessible as well. The three of you, you've got you've, you've between you individually and collectively, you've got a great way of making what you're describing very accessible to to everyone for people who are not necessarily into the development side of things like me. It's uh, yeah, I get that the way the way Gary said that, or the way you or, or Kev have said that, and uh, it's it's fun to hear you. Um, evangelize your your particular areas of interest as well i mean especially kev is so passionate about things like microsoft search and viva and things like that so it's uh, it, it's i love hearing that passion that's one of the great things that comes out of the show as well for sure i i think with all three of us we all have that different interest as well so there's always you know oh well sorry what does that actually mean i didn't see anything about that you know <laughs> tell me more about that and we're almost explaining yeah. it to ourselves so yeah to, and to each other because you know it's there is too much for any one person to be, you know, staying on top of everything. So it's a great, it's a great way to kind of go, you have not heard anything about that. Explain that. <laughs> if, if, if we understand it, then we hope other people understand it as well. Cause you know, we're yeah. trying to keep it from a, you know, from a consultancy perspective, we want to explain it to everybody, not just to the, the technical insiders. Yep. Just kind of thinking more about the kind of, things you do within our little community and i guess this is probably a question for the both of you guys you uh i think it was earlier this year maybe the tail end of last year you started the microsoft 365 security and compliance user group 
mouthful. Nailed rolls it. off the tongue, doesn't that. it? Yep. Yep. <laughs> not, I'm not going to use the the TLA for it because that'll just that'll uh, defrag my brain. But I guess <laughs> one one of the things that was kind of surprising to me was that was really feel, filling a little bit of a void because there's so many user groups and there's things for you know for like uh, end user compute. Uh, we'll talk about per platform as well and for programming things like that. But kind of to my surprise, there wasn't really at least that I was aware of one in that space despite it being such an important element of IT security. What kind of brought about the security and compliance user group for you guys? I think you're right there. It's a really big area and it's really mm. important. And it's a really, you know, it's massively important. But actually, you know, whenever I spoke to, to customers about it, it would be something that they would have a few people who would be interested um, a few people in the know and most other people would be well you need to explain that to me I don't I don't know what that is um, and certainly you know when I spoke to Pete about it we were kind of like yeah, there isn't anything actually so there's nothing there's nothing that's that's just doing security and compliance but it is a core pillar of what we do and as yep. you know more and more people are buying into the the higher level licensing they're getting these capabilities and they're not necessarily making the most of them um, and I think when we, tail end of last year, there were conferences that had security compliance tracks and they were starting to have, you know, enough speakers, enough interest to have dedicated tracks just on the one subject. So, yeah, we, I think it must have been the start of the year, wasn't it, Pete? When yeah, we, something we like that. Had a, had a chat about it and I think our first, our first event was February. February, yeah where you and I spoke on the uh, inaugural event. And uh, I must give you credit, Al, for the idea. The idea was yours. You came to me and said, there's a gap here. Let's." And I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's How come nobody's doing this? And it's the reaction to it's been amazing. We've had some amazing community members um, participate so far with some great talks, which have taught me a lot. There's a, there's a lot that I've um, derived from it as well, for sure. So it's yeah. been fun. And we, as, as we record this, we've got one coming up uh, in a few days' time. When this episode goes out, it will have just happened a couple of days before. So, um, <laughs> breaking the fourth wall there. And uh, but but, <laughs> but and we were saying the other day, we can't believe how fast it's come around again. Actually, won't we, Al? Because it's it's, yeah, it's mad. I think absolutely. And I think but, you know we've been we've not had any trouble finding speakers who want to speak. Um, no, and it's been you know a phenomenal list of speakers and sessions but also the interest the attendees the conversations mm. that are taking place in the chats mm. you know we don't record it uh, because this subject changes quite a lot you know it's constantly changing but also we want to encourage people to have those conversations to ask the questions to to participate mm. as a a user group usually used to be you know when it was in person it, the participation and the networking is really important so mm. i think it's been yeah it's been far more successful than we expected it to be when we started out at the start of the year but yeah we've got got some amazing speakers lined up and uh, yeah it's it's been it's it's filled a gap which is i think really good for people yeah absolutely and i do cuz it is a topic that i i think i've attended all of them uh, and it is a topic I do see coming up quite a bit, you know, is this going to be recorded and things like that? And the decision is we're not going to record it. And just as, I guess, feedback, I guess, as an attendee, I kind of like that approach because, how would I describe it? I don't know if skin in the game is the right term, but it invests me more as an attendee because I have to focus on it. 
and I actually, you know, if I want to get the value out of being here, because it's free yeah. at the end of the day, which is the fact that half of the stuff that happens in this community happens for free blows my mind anyway. But the fact that I'm sitting there and I know I have to pay attention if I want to learn about this, because I can't just go on YouTube and catch up later on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like the, the last session. I know you had a question for one of the speakers whilst after the session and he went off and did the research you know <laughs> during the yeah. user group came mm. back to you with an answer before the end of the user group which you know yeah. i think is for me that is community i mean it for me i started going to user groups to learn stuff you know uh, i very quickly recognized that actually the sessions are great but actually having the conversations and meeting people and knowing who to ask about things you know is is equally as valuable you know knowing who to ask is the most powerful thing you can know because mm -hmm. i can then go to you know one of the speakers and say well you did a great session on sentinel Tice, can you answer a question sergey you did that hacking session can i ask you a question about this and people in the community are more likely to answer and to say actually absolutely i'll i'll, I'll help you wherever i can mm -hmm. it's the nature of the community um mm -hmm. and i think that's yeah i'm passionate about the community because i've learned so much and uh yeah you know it's it's been yeah lifeline in so many so many times where you run into a challenge and you go i just don't know the answer to this mm. and i don't know how to google it because i don't know the words to how to ask <laughs> it you know what i mean so you go I do. i'm going to ask that person and just have a quick chat explain what's going on and they go these are the phrases that you need to use these are the sites that you need to go to or this blog or yeah. this video so yeah yeah, massively important, I think. I don't think you're allowed the to use... Go on, yeah, you're, not allowed, you're not allowed to use Google, just for the record as well. So if you've got to use Bing, yeah. I use Google as a, as, a ver as a verb, but actually ah, Bing is my yeah. default browser, yeah. There you go. Uh, but I do yeah. like, I mean, I, I think however you search, you know, <laughs> finding, <laughs> finding an answer is... Uh, is yeah, important. using that's, Bing, that's Kev, Kev would be proud of you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Bing. I've used Bing for, for years, yeah. Yeah, but you're right about the community in the sense that um, the type of people that are in it, and I feel this way myself, is when you're asked that sort of question, you, you're you not happy until you've answered it. You've, oh, we're like yeah. um, a, a, bee in, a bee in our bonnet. We've got to go and um, we must find out this and and, and, pro and and get back to the person who's who's asking us. And that can come from the user groups and come from, come from blogs, that you do, and uh, one thing I found recently with blog articles that I've written and forgotten about months ago, you'll occasionally get a comment on them uh, yep. saying, what's happening with this now, or um, has there been a change? Oh, I better go back and update that, which I'm, I'm really bad at doing. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, it's really, really good, the community, for, for that sort of thing, without a doubt. Kind of thinking a little bit more about the work you're doing, I mentioned the the user group space. You also, I believe, are the founder, I think, of the, the London Power Platform user group as well. Oh, a, help, a helper. A helper on that helper. one. Okay, yeah. cool. So I guess, you know, from my perspective, I'm not a, how would you say, I'm not a Power Platform guy. I'm not in really in that space. How, how big of an area is that in Microsoft 365? And what kinds of subjects have you found that the user group has helped i guess educate you on oh that's that's an interesting question um <laughs> i think the power platform has been it's been revolutionary for a lot of a lot of users citizen developers a lot of developers but i think where 
where it fits into to sort of my story was obviously SharePoint had InfoPath, SharePoint workflows. It had its own sort of automation forms, you know, way extensibility for SharePoint. Um, and then this this weird power platform thing came out, you know, power automate flows and stuff. And you kind of look at it and you go, well, actually, that's so much more powerful than what we had in the SharePoint stuff. Um, and that's really where my interest started, you know, Power BI for reporting, Power Automate. And it's always been really interesting in the, the Power Platform community because it's not really one community. There's mm -hmm. there's multiple communities that are coming together. And if you, you know, conversations like, you know, do I use SharePoint to store data? You know, if people are coming from the, the SharePoint end, they'll go, well, obviously, I use a SharePoint list to store data. If they're coming from the Dynamics end, they'll go, SharePoint, what? Well, why that's not relational data why, why would you use that mm -hmm. why don't you use dynamics or dataverse or you know something that actually makes sense to share data to store data and so you get this sort of collision of two two sort of technical tribes coming together in the power platform space and you know the the power platform user group when it's at its best it's bringing both of those tribes together and it's explaining actually you know, from a dynamic side, these are sort of some really cool features that you can use. You know, the the dataverse is massively powerful. It's, you know, in my view, I've worked with SQL for over 20 years. SQL is great. Dataverse is better. Uh, SharePoint lists are great, but dataverse is better. But actually, you can build a Canvas app that you can use on your phone that's got GPS and the ability to take pictures, which a custom dev solution would take a long time to build. Uh, and wouldn't be necessarily quite as agile to build and deliver, you know, a lot more planning, a lot more investment. So you get this rapid ability to build solutions and you have the ability for people who understand a business process to actually build solutions to improve that business process. And those people are coming at it from a business perspective. I have this process. I spend three days a month doing this. Can I make this quicker so that it takes only a day a month? excellent that's going to save me 10 days a year that's probably quite an investment in time hmm. that you know you would make to build something but then they're looking at it going well what else can i do i'm looking at this process but are there other things that i can do so the power platform user group is really about bringing together you know is it somebody who's coming from a sharepoint background who wants to automate a process is it somebody who's coming from a dynamics background that wants to understand what a canvas app will be able to deliver or what power bi can do is it somebody who's you know working in teams and wants to know what dataverse for teams can do you know there are different flavors of the power platform and it's there's a flavor to suit every sort of background every mm. direction of travel that you're on uh, but sometimes communicating that is a real challenge for a lot of organizations to really get that message down to to the people who can really benefit from it. Hmm. Um, so I think there's, yeah, the, the potential to educate across those different tribes and across those different levels mm. of experience is really valuable. Mm. And the Power Platform user group, we get probably more business-focused people who want to automate their processes um, than any other user group I've been to, where you, it tends to be more technical sort of consultants and, and people like that. So, mm. yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting space to to be involved mm. in. And do you have speakers at that one in the same way that we do in the security compliance one? Al? Yeah, we've kind of we 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 jump starting it again. The, the whole 
platform for managing it has been uh, has been changing so yes we we have we do have a sessionized page which we'll be launching again uh, but yes we do have speakers from from all sorts of different backgrounds um, and again it's that one was a, an in-person one um, and I remember you know the last in-person one we did we kind of did it as hybrid and it was quite an interesting interesting experience you know doing some physical hacks around the audio visual to make sure that people <laughs> could actually experience it both online and and in person um, so yeah we're still we're kind of looking at you know does that stay online does it move back mm. in you know we used to run it in the reactor in London um, oh, yeah. or are there other other opportunities for us to do more of a hybrid hybrid solution mm. um yeah. but yes same kind of format couple of speakers usually trying to get a, a sort of a a use case in somebody coming and doing a show and tell of a solution that they've built a, a, mm. a use that they've got for the power platform um, cool and when you say we who are your co-organizers on that group oh so um we've got laura graham brown peter benstra and keith watling so together the four of us have been uh, been looking after that user group um, and trying to make sure that we are we are still doing things. Um, and as I say, we're we're going to be jump starting again in in the autumn and making sure cool. that we've got uh, a good lineup of speakers in that space. Nice, yeah, awesome. Well, Top names involved there. That's uh, highly recommend uh, that you check that out. Then with <clears throat> you'll have to let us know when you when you're relaunching and uh, we yep. can link to that. Yep. Yeah, we will do. Um, yeah. One of the things just I'd, I'd like to pick up there is you mentioned that maybe, for example, the security and compliance user groups are getting more technically minded folks. And then in the per platform one, you're maybe getting more business minded folks. When we, when we talk about that and we talk about these low code, no code citizen developer platforms, are you seeing that it's still someone who is in the kind of IT business area? Or are we talking about folks that are really across all sorts of the business area? So, for example, are you seeing the power platform being used by actual folks who are they're in the finance team and they're not really part of the IT team? Just as an example. Yeah, I think it depends on the organization and their, their understanding of the power platform. Um, and... I think there's a lot IT departments have had a lot of fear around it. You know, oh, it's the new access databases. They're going to be sitting under <laughs> every desk and we're not going to know who's doing what and where right. the critical business processes are going to be. Um, and that's been a that's been a fear since day one for some IT departments. But there is, you know, the center of excellence that um has been out there for quite a while now to help manage and to track and to govern. And there's a lot of a lot of education needs to be done around what the governance looks like around it to enable different organizations to then roll it out and say, we do know that we've got citizen developers who they are enabled and they need, you know, they need governance. They need some guidance as to what to use when and to know what's available uh, and to be inspired by what's what they can do. Um, but they do need that kind of arm around them that, you know, champions network will, will give them, you know, to say, yeah, if you've got a question, where do you go? Mm. Cause otherwise you very often, Oh, well in a half a day I can do a lot, but then I'm going to struggle to do something else and I'm going to spend three days trying to work out how to do it. And then I'm going to give up. So you need that support. If you're going to be rolling it out and enabling the citizen developers to use it. But the other end of the spectrum is line of business applications that are being built that, uh, using you know Azure to surface 
APIs, then hooking into that with Power Automate or Canvas apps, integrating with with model driven apps and those line of business applications. You know, they can have the full application lifecycle management there, the governance, the data loss prevention, all of that in place. And that that opens up a whole new way of building applications for an organization. So you get these two kind of extremes and most organizations are focusing on one or the other. Um, and, you know, it's part of what we're trying to do with the power platform is to make it that you can enable both ends of that and you can say, actually, I've got these APIs that allow my citizen developers to get information they need, trusted mm. information, use it, automate their processes, you know, make things better, better and faster for themselves. And, it, you know, and give them the satisfaction of actually building and creating things um, whilst having that governance and knowing things are being used, when to retire things, when to, you know, lock down on things, how to manage new capabilities, you know, things like AI builder and those sorts yeah. of tools that just open up, you know, mind blowing potential for for users. And when they have never thought, well, I could actually scan a document and extract the information out of it and then I could put it into you know SharePoint or put it into Dynamics or Dataverse. Though that kind of scenario is something that a lot of people just don't really think about and they, they need the education. So Power Platform, often we talk about the, the center of excellence being both a technical solution, but also being a people-focused solution. You know, how do I actually engage my users and build a champion's network? How do I train people, you know, have those essentially an internal user group, you know, knowledge sharing, where have we used this? Where has it saved us time? Inspiring other other areas of the business to use it. So it's mm. it's a real, there's a massive potential with it, um, but it takes a, it takes a different way of thinking about technology almost mm. to actually roll it out to those those users who maybe haven't been focused on building, building things mm. and at the same time to a, a really technical audience. Power Platform is increasingly difficult to ignore. I find it's tying into so many other aspects of Microsoft yeah. 365. As you said there, it's tying into SharePoint, into Teams, into the Dynamics 365. And, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, losing my voice today. Also into things like security and compliance, even because if you look at the Power Platform yeah. Admin Center, there's a there's a strong focus on that and there with things like the DLP that you have to consider as well. So, um, yeah, it's only going to run and run and get bigger and better. Yeah, I mean, it... It's, it's, the conversation I've had with a lot of people is, you know, where you have workflows, you're thinking about taking one thing and automating it. But actually, the Power Platform, you can orchestrate things. You, it's orchestration across multiple platforms, multiple systems, you know, or I want to integrate with my Salesforce system. Okay, well, the Power Platform can do that. It can bring data from, you know, your Salesforce platform, your Microsoft 365 platform, pull them together, present them, mm. allow you to see them together and then take action on it as well and it can do it all in one one interface um which is a really powerful tool for a lot of organizations you know we'd look at microsoft's integration sort of approach you know you look at viva and bringing in hr systems and bringing all of that data yeah. together and using it learning to bring in learning management systems it's not reinventing the wheel to make it all microsoft it's saying we know you've got loads of other solutions that are in place. How can I bring them together? Which I think is massively exciting to say, yeah, I can bring everything together. I can take my security notification and, you know, push a message into Teams so that the, the team who looked at look after it understand it's there. 
One of the concerns that you raised there that some IT folks have about the power platform and maybe maybe cloud platforms in general, and I've seen it especially with the acceleration of the adoption of Teams, is that idea of governance. You know, how do we make sure we've kind of got control over what's sitting in our environment and we're planning for it as users come and go and they leave and everything like that. And that made me think of one of the blogs that you wrote recently. Uh, recently, I'm not sure how long. I think it was within the last year. Uh, and that was around this idea of uh, access reviews. So I'm thinking about identity governance in this case. So if, I, if governance is such a key concern to folks, thinking about the identity piece as folks move from on-prem and they're used to, you know, federating between domains and all that kind of stuff. When we use Azure AD, that kind of goes out the out the window and we've got guest users and external users and all that kind of stuff. I guess, where, where do you think that folks should start getting that control that they feel they might be losing as they start adopting these cloud solutions? I, th- I mean, I think Azure AD is, it has so many tools that are underused. Um, and yeah. I think the you know the access reviews was something that you know I remember using that two three years ago with a client and they were just blown away by it. They just had no idea that that was available. And at that point, we weren't talking to we were working with IT, but we were talking to the end users who are managing a system where they had to collaborate with external people. And they'd been doing it you know the on-prem SharePoint way, and they had an external. AD that was being created with accounts and they were just like, well, we've got to go to IT every time. And when we then said, well, actually, look, you can do this in Teams. You can add users in, but then we could put access reviews on there so you can actually recertify people as needing access and you don't need to go to IT for that. You can delegate some of that down from IT. They were just like, whoa, okay, Mm. Uh, this is is pretty amazing. I know when we said to them, you can get that done by external people as well. And your external people can actually be that first line of authentication or of approval. And then it can come to you. Yeah. It was it was a double whammy. They just kind of went, we'd never thought of asking them to approve somebody to come into our system. But actually, you're right. They're the people who are assigning that person in their organization the job to actually come in and use our, our stuff. Um, and that kind of that thought process was something that they just they hadn't even considered. Um, and I think that's where, you know, the identity governance is so powerful in Office 365 and and in Azure AD and starting with being able to audit who comes in, being able to put in the, you know, the conditional access policies to say, actually, my perimeter is my identity. That's where that's where I would be starting and saying, Nobody can come into my my environment without coming through that identity um, firewall. It's not a firewall. It's an identity perimeter, isn't it? I need yeah, to authenticate yeah. and come through. If you've got your checks and balances in there to say, I can audit when people authenticate. I can put in conditional access to impose multi-factor authentication on them. We've got terms of use so that we've got you know them signing up that they're going to actually adhere to our rules. But then you've got access reviews to say, do they still need access? You've got entitlements, which is even more powerful to say, we can give them access to applications, to teams, uh, to SharePoint locations. And 
we can then say all of that that set of security permissions is bundled together as a an entitlement yeah. and they can actually come along and do self-service and go actually i've just started in a new role um i need to actually have access to the sales um tools okay i've got an entitlement for that they sign up their line manager approves it then maybe you know somebody else approves it and then that's under constant review yeah. that's really where where organizations should be thinking they to that's what they need to achieve is yeah. using those entitlements in that way because that way they're not kind of going oh i've just joined a new organization uh pete joined a couple of weeks before me i just need the same permissions as pete please yeah you know exactly. and that's that's where it kind of go what permissions did we give him <laughs> yeah how do i how do i find out what permissions he's got across you know my salesforce environment my microsoft environment you know my azure environment what permissions do i need and i think that's that's really that would be the the utopia wouldn't it i come along yeah. and i've just got entitlements managing all permissions i love that you mentioned the entitlement management because i think back to kind of when i was in internal it really before widespread adoption of because uh, it's an azure ad premium p2 feature uh mm. before we had that available and I think back to the big checklist we've got of, you know, new start needs this, 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 tick, 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 cross, cross, cross. Whereas now it's just kind of like you set it up once and in a way, as an IT guy, you can set it and forget it. That's a that's maybe not the best terminology, but you can then start delegating it away, right? And you could say, okay, well now the HR team can have responsibility for this. And of course, and of course you set up a, a power platform solution, you know, with a, with an app that sure. they fill in that request and then it automatically goes through the approval. Of course, of course you set through all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think this is where, you know, a lot of, a lot of organizations have an identity management tool in place. Uh, you know, they may have had a tool, you know, forefront identity manager, Microsoft identity manager, all of these tools that kind of, pull all the identities from other systems from hr systems and then push them into well actually that application needs these permission these people in there that application ad needs it you know every organization has probably thought about it in some way but maybe kind of they've been a bit scared and not necessarily implemented a an automated solution to manage it all yep absolutely Shifting gears just a little bit, but again, focusing on your blog, something I've seen you, I guess, talk about not only in your blog, but also on Twitter and things like that. I've seen that you kind of, you you, you write and speak a lot about uh, habits, I guess, you know, improving yourself, mental health, all that kind of thing. And I know that one of the articles you published on your blog was about building good habits. And you referenced a number of books by folks like Cal Newport and James Clear and all that kind of stuff. You know, what are the kind of, big pieces of advice that you would direct towards IT professionals when it comes to building and maintaining good habits? <laughs> um, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> no pressure at all. Um, I think one of the things that I've, I've always struggled with is saying no, uh, which mm, means that I end up right. with a lot of things to do. Um, you know, I've always kind of gone, oh, yeah, I'm happy to help, you know, um, which, you know, you build up a backlog of things that you need to do. Um, so managing those and prioritizing those has always been a key, a key element and being able to, to say no and to say, no, I can't do it now. I can maybe do it next week um, is really important for us. Um, and then to be able to say, actually, look, here's how you can find out when I can do something next. You know, it's, 
it's getting to be a standing joke with focus time. You know, I book focus time in to do things. And then people seem to think that I've, I've put focus time in as, as, and they read it as his reserved time for me to book a meeting in there. <laughs> and it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it's not quite the right interpretation. Um, but I think all of the, the things that I, I have learned, I, you know, I'm a massive reader in terms of reading books or listening to books when I'm exercising or doing, you know, going out walking. And I found so much useful, information that helps manage you know the stress of having things to do those tasks that you kind of go ah they're going to wake you up in the middle of the night you know you're thinking about Mm -hmm. it and ah i didn't really want to wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it and that's really driven me you know to work out how to use these tools well and effectively um and i think you know when it comes to to habits they are very personal you know they're how we all work but from an IT perspective, enabling the technology and making sure people understand that the technology is there is absolutely crucial. Some of the the most revelationary things that I've shown people have been the most simple. Oh, find time. How can I book a meeting and send out seven different time slots and let people vote on them so that I know which one's going to work for people? Oh, that saves me so much time. I don't have to go through their calendars and have that ping pong of sending emails going, well, are you available on this date? No, I'm not available on that date. What about the other seven people who are going to be in the meeting? You know, so some of those tools are some of the the most life-changing when it comes to how you manage your time, but also um, they help you to manage your own expectations and to manage expectations of others. Oh, I've got my calendar. It's all up to date. I know when I need to be doing things. I've got all my tasks in to do. I know what tasks I need to be doing. Um, and bringing the tools together into yeah, habits and ceremonies and things like that to, to kind of make it so you're using them. That's the most important thing, using them on a regular basis and not kind of going, I'm going to put everything into to do, then I'm going to leave it for a week and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to look at it. I'm going to be somewhat shocked that I haven't actually done any of the tasks that are there, but I've done this whole other set that actually weren't in there. Um, Mm. And I think it, you know, it's hard. It's not easy to, to manage all of that. Um, Mm. And depending on what your role is, it really varies as to how impactful that would be on you. You know, if you're, if you're getting project managers assigning stuff to you, that might be in a project management tool. It might be in their own Excel spreadsheet. Hopefully it's in planner or something that you can actually see, see that work. Um, and that helps to manage your own time. But also I think the most important thing is managing expectations of others. Mm. So they know, oh, actually he's busy. Oh, he's not busy, you know, just sat on his own, you know, having a nap. He's busy doing something that somebody else has asked him to do. Mm. Yeah, we um, we use Find Time a lot for this show. Ironically, we yeah. didn't use it to invite you on, Al, which because um, <laughs> uh, I just I just said to you yesterday, you fancy coming on? Said, sure, and we'll do it then. But pretty much every other guest we've had so far, we used Find Time to to line up our diaries, and it works brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly. Yeah. But uh, those other technologies that you mentioned there, I've started trying to use them more effectively myself recently, having recently changed roles uh, into a new company, and uh, started booking in focus time, booking in um, also time to well to take a break, to, yep. to, have, to have lunch, to, to respond to emails. Because what I am finding increasingly is, and I'm sure you'll find the same, 
we're having so many teams meetings, teams meeting after teams meeting after teams meeting, and there is just no time to actually take action on what you've discussed yeah. in those meetings. Before you know it, your day's gone, and yeah. uh, that, that's where that's so important, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I've so I've started in Outlook. You can change the meeting times to say you know make them slightly shorter, so take mm. five minutes off them. And I was taking five minutes off the end. And, you know, they'd just overrun by five minutes and then you'd be in the same <laughs> position that you have to actually just jump over to the next to the next meeting. So mm. I ta started taking five minutes off the start of the meetings. Mm. And it's really interesting because it's really hard. <laughs> it's mm. really, I keep starting them on the top of the hour. And I'm like, I oh, know I'm five minutes early or other people are starting them on the top of the hour because <laughs> we're just not kind of geared to think it might be starting at five past or ten past. Mm. Um, so it's taken quite a lot to kind of get into the discipline of, no, it's starting later. This is where yep. I should be going to the toilet or going to get a coffee or mm. just just having a little walk around. Um, but as you say, it's that focus time. When are you actually going to do the preparation or the follow-up from a meeting? Yeah, you need to book that time in and be hard on on okay. saying, I'm not going to accept yeah. a meeting in. Look, I've got, I've got a meeting already in there. Can you not see that in my calendar? Mm. Oh, you can't see it? Oh, let me share my calendar with you and make sure you can see my calendar. Yeah, and I'm starting to try and do that as well because you—it's essential. You've got focus time does not mean I'm free. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm doing nothing. It means exactly what it says, um, and it's—it's it's essential. But one problem I have as well is uh, you, you, when you got back-to-back -back teams meetings, is, is getting off that teams meeting when you're when you're chatting with other people and, and they need something from you. It's like, well, I've got another one coming up now. I've got to go. But then they just keep on talking to you. And <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That five-minute warning that comes up yeah. at the end, I always point that out. I was just to point out we've five minutes left on this meeting, so we, we yeah. best wrap it up now because I've got another meeting, even if I don't have another meeting. you know. And mm. I think use that and, and vocalize that because everybody's going to see it, but they're not necessarily going to be doing mm. something because that, that pop-up comes up. So I would always mm. suggest vocalizing it and saying, oh, just, just seen the five-minute meeting, yeah. five minutes left. What are the next Agreed. steps? What are the actions? Let's let's bring this to a close. I love that because it's so easy to ignore that, isn't it? I think everyone perhaps yep. has got into the habit of just knowing that's going to pop up and say, oh, okay, we'll just ignore that and keep talking. Yeah, but, yeah let's call it out. change the color that. of it or do something. something <laughs> yeah. Because if, if, if things happen every time, people just start to ignore it. But yeah, always vocalize that one when that comes up. Mm. Yeah. I do love insights, though. I've I've been trying to use that um, from a mental health standpoint uh, uh, as well to try and do. I mean, a few people who've talked to on the show have said exactly the same. At first glance, the breathing thing, yeah, this is a bit gimmicky. But everyone I've talked to, we've talked to, who's tried yeah. it, including myself, has been very pleasantly surprised to how beneficial it is, how much it works. That I yeah, that one minute breathing. Yeah. It's only one minute. It fits in between your meetings, doesn't it? And it just, yeah, and relax and put to bed the last meeting and start the next meeting. It's remarkable how effective it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, and the, you know, the rest of the Headspace stuff will be coming out soon. But um, yeah. yeah, it's, I do like the, and I do like the, the end of the day, the virtual commute, because that's bringing in all your to-do tasks that you've mm. put into my day. It helps reinforce the, the use of that my day list in to do, um, yeah. which I think is yeah really it's coming together, but there's still there's not enough done around the the habits around it, the the mm. ceremonies, the process of using it. It's just the technology. 
Yeah, um, but well, it's, we're yeah, in very it's early days of using it, aren't we? It's it's very early days, and we ju- we just had Microsoft Inspire uh, a week or so back, didn't we? And there was more announcements there about integrations with new partners for Viva Insights and that sort of thing. So that's exciting. It's only going to get better and better, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we're at the start. We're at the start of a journey, um, and it's mm-hmm. yeah, it is it will be very interesting to see in a year's time, you know, how we're all working and what tools we have we have to actually support us there because. I think it will it will be slightly different, won't it? You know, hybrid hybrid working. Yeah. Mm. How many of us are actually on site, not on site? How we change our working habits based on some of the some of the research that Microsoft's doing around its work trend index and work yeah. lab and those things. I mean, they're such amazing resources to to have a look at. Yeah. Mm. Now, one of the other big announcements that came out of Inspire was Windows three sixty five, of course, which I think is massively exciting. Um, what were your thoughts on that, Al? So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that's how that's rolled out and adopted. Um, mm. I think there's having previously spent many many years doing a lot of traveling and a lot of train train rides and you know thinking you need to be connected for it. That might not mm. work for a, mm. for a fair chunk of people. Um, mm. But for those people who are, I would say, in quotes, office based, as in they're either going to be working at home or they're going to be working somewhere where they've got internet connectivity and not working in transit it might be really interesting uh, to see how that how that plays out because i think it will it will make life a lot easier for a lot of organizations Mm. um and it will take away you know one one further removal of um of things that need to be supported but i also think there'll be a lot of people who go well that'd be great i could just you know fire it up on my ipad you know, wherever mm-hmm. I am, I don't need to, yeah. you know, have that laptop. Um, yeah, on your Mac. On your Mac, anywhere. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see how it how it plays out. Definitely. I never thought about it from the train point of view. It's just because Wi-Fi on trains is notoriously bad at the best of times, isn't it? So it's really not going to work there, is it? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I used to always use trains as an excuse to to to, to go into airplane mode and just mm-hmm. just get my head down and actually yeah. be the most productive couple of hours on a train because it would be like being on an airplane. So yeah, we'll see. It'd be interesting to see how that how that works out for us. Yeah, I don't have they announced pricing for Windows three six five yet? I don't think they have. Have they? I think it's coming in August sometime, isn't it? Right. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that'll Sorry, be interesting to see because it is interesting that it's a bit of a meme on Twitter now that we're kind of this the E7 license is going to show up at any given moment and things like that. But it seems to me that what instead <laughs> is happening is E3 and E5, they seem to be settled, but then you're getting these additional things that are either pay by consumption or an additional cost per users, Windows 365 being another. And then I believe most of the Viva stuff that also invokes an additional charge. Is that right? Yeah. So Viva insights and topics, SharePoint syntax, I mean, they've got the scheduler thing as well as what that's um, that was released, mm. which right. is you know what was Cortana or Calendar dot help, which was right. quite a useful little tool. Um, so yeah, there's there seems to be a few things coming out, but then again, Power Platform they've half the price from October, mm. right? Which cool. Will a, which will be a, a massive uh, a massive benefit for a lot of organisations, not mm. to have that conversation of well, where are the value. Um, yeah. So I think yeah, it'd be interesting to see E7. Yeah. That, that was, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be painful. 
Yeah. Uh, if they do go down that route, I hope they don't announce it too soon because I've got a blog post that's going to drop uh, on Practical <laughs> 365, in the, I think, in the coming week, which where we debate a tweet that I started recently about E3 versus E5 and uh, what features in E5 would be more appropriately uh, redistributed to E3 and that sort of thing. It, the response to it was quite amazing. I thought, well, there's a there's a there's a blog post in this. So, um, but but as you can imagine, everyone had a different idea on it. There were some common themes, but uh, nearly every feature that's in E5 was mentioned at some point. People just wanted in E3. So yeah, <laughs> what's Microsoft to do? I think the step ups have been really useful for to E5. Mm, you know, where yeah. you've got the the compliance and the security step mm. ups. You know. It, I think that's the that's always been the. I remember when E5 was released, and we all went telephony. Okay, mm. well that's quite a big that's quite a big sell. You know, you yeah. you got to replace hardware for that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that that's end of life for hardware that's going to trigger that. Over the mm. years, that end of life has kind of come around for a lot of organisations, and so therefore they've kind of made that jump. But mm. you know, when you look at the security and compliance side of things, it should be a no brainer for any any regulated mm. organisation. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a lot of competes out there with existing, existing tools, and I think that's the that's part of the challenge, isn't it? That, yeah. That anything that is a compete for existing tools has a lot more discussion around <clears throat> it. But mm. anything that is new, you know, the Viva stuff. Well, you've never had that before. The Viva Insight mm. stuff is just phenomenal. The information that you get out of it. You know, yeah. But so it's not. It's never going to be rolled into an E5. Well, at least I don't think it's going to be rolled mm. into E5 uh, because it is some organizations will want it and not everybody will want it. Mm. And the telephony is becoming massive right now. A couple of years ago, there was really no traction on that. It wasn't mature enough. But now, certainly where Rue and I work, the the demand for that is insane. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the you know the meeting rooms and the the teams meeting rooms the the hardware that supports that is yeah there's a there's an awful lot going on especially as you know we're all thinking about how we how we participate in meetings more as well yeah definitely do you remember the e4 skew I don't remember the E4 skew. No. Yeah, yeah, there was there was one. I don't, I don't think it was around very long, but there definitely was an E4 at one point. Um, I don't in, in my early that. days of working with 365. I hope I'm not imagining that. I, I dream. I think it. you're right. Sure there was. I'm sure there, that there, def- there definitely was one that then got revoked. So I can't remember yeah. the name of it. But yeah, it's uh, mm, it's changing. That was a thing before E5 appeared. Microsoft do like uh, to change things, don't they? <laughs> oh, it would be, life would be dull if we didn't. It would, wouldn't kept it? on our toes trying good. to. Want, you know, it's a good thing they changed the name of things because it allows you to age blog articles. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh it's still true. talking about Dataverse. Excellent. So, uh, Dataverse is good. Oh, it's talking about Common Data Service. Oh, well, that was renamed when. Um, mm. So, yeah. And it also gives a lot of pub quiz questions. You know, when you're talking about Microsoft themed pub quiz, well, what was this called before it changed to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they did that in advanced e-discovery not too long ago, where searches is now collections, for example. That's a, 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 oh. a recent example. So I think searches was a much better. I don't quite get that, but uh, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure there's some wisdom behind it. But um, looking at the time, we've, we've had a good old chat, as we always do with our guests. We're one, one minute and 11 in, but I do want to spend a bit of time talking a bit more on, on a personal level. Uh, and um, 
Uh, what does what Alan Erdley like to do in his spare time, if if you have any, uh, outside of your work and community life? Uh, so I, I, I have a desperate need to have some time that's not not sat in front of my laptop. So, yeah, um, spend time with the family. Uh, but I like to go out for, for walks. So I live in the Chilterns. So going out for walks and and hikes around uh, around here is is always very therapeutic. I kind of hit two birds with one stone. Listen to audio books. Go out and see beautiful countryside. Come back refreshed and slightly slightly more knowledge in my head, which is which is awesome. Nice. Um, but yeah, I also do um, field archery, uh, which oh, ironically really? is not is not in a field. We do it in woods. So I do that with my mm-hmm. daughter, um, and we go and basically shoot arrows. Um, yeah, uh, which is incredibly relaxing because there's no IT, there's no technology, there's no mobile mm-hmm. signal, but also it kind of gets you into that state where you're focusing just enough on something that nothing else can come into your brain mm-hmm. and you know disturb you. So it's really nice. She's just finished her GCSEs. It's nice for us to kind of escape from her studying, me working, and actually just just really kind of unwind and relax. Um, so yeah, awesome. that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, I know that's, to, that's I, what I we know, like doing. Yeah, I know who to stick with now when the zombie apocalypse happens. So uh... <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, yeah, we we yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's quite nice because we don't actually have to hit the targets very much. But uh, yeah, it's 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 not like um, so if you think about archery and people lining up and shooting a range of targets from one line, it's not like mm. that. It's more like doing a round of golf. So there are fourteen targets, mm. but they're oh. different sizes and different distances, and some of them you kind of have one arrow at each distance as you walk up towards the target so it's it really is yeah quite quite engrossing in terms of you know concentration uh and quite satisfying when you do actually you know hit the Mm. target right i did archery at um center parks a couple of years ago actually it was great Mm. also in a in a forest of course center parks being (laughs) full of trees as it is but um (laughs) great great fun but sorry you were I was just, I was just wondering, can, is that, is this something that you can do competitively, or is it very much a, yeah, yeah, no, a you can do it. is it? Right. No, you can do it competitively. So yeah, that's so, yeah, my daughter actually holds a holds a national record in it. Um, oh, cool. cool! She was very, well very young, but just because of this type of bow that she uses and and yeah. uh, the the type of target. So they've got different styles of targets. So and mm. they also do three um, D targets. So sort of rubber animals that you can shoot as well um so yeah Yeah. there's all sorts it's it's really interesting really really worth looking up the field archery uh, association and seeing whether there's a there's a club near you because it's it's a lot of fun Mm, awesome and you mentioned your daughter's just done a gcses um how was that in COVID times what was that like in terms of disruption because the previous year 11 last year when the pandemic hit they didn't get to do their exams so how did she find that they they did they did assessments this year which weren't really exams but they were under exam conditions but uh, she's taken to it pretty well her school was using teams um and so really just moved over to using teams full-time um Mm. and she's She's done remarkably well adjusting to, you know, using mm. the tools that she has available to her to study, uh, but also, yeah. you know, staying in contact with her friends and, yeah, 
so unlike unlike some she's she's quite introverted and is quite happy just to sit in her bedroom and uh, yeah mm. either either study or socialize um, yeah whether you're introverted or not though and, and and my older son George probably falls into that category it's been difficult for all of of the children the consistency that has not been there one minute they're going to school for a few weeks then they're not they're in lockdown again then they're going back but then one of their friends is at the self-isolate and it's just been stop and start. And it's, I can't imagine that uh, at that age, what they've had to go through and they've, they've coped with it so well, haven't they? They have. And I think it's, it's credit to them. And it's credit to the schools and the teachers for you know mm. getting through what are very challenging situations to, you know, being 16 is probably exactly the right time. If there was a right time, you know, when you're doing, GCSEs, all of those distractions and the temptations have kind of been removed to a certain mm -hmm. extent. Fine. So, yeah. you know, there's the, at that point, it's probably less of an impact than, you know, younger kids where, you know, they're still, you know, really needing to actually develop friendships, develop the, you know, the social interactions where it's going to be a whole lot more difficult and where their attention isn't necessarily, you know, going to be as easily focused on something when they're at home compared with mm. if they're in school with a teacher telling them to do something and to, telling them to work. So I think it's, it's had different impacts on different, different age groups. Mm. Only time will tell as to what the, the longer term impact of actually going to be. Yeah, definitely. Who who knows? I mean, uh, it, it, it's probably, unfortunately, the, their generation who are going to have to go through the harder times of, 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 of paying back all of the furlough debt as well, isn't it? And things oh, like that. It's, yeah. It's scary, scary times. But I mean, it, we've coped so well with it, though. That most people have, and most people have just banded together and and just got on with it and made things work. It's a testament to to the human spirit uh, on the whole. I think absolutely. Well, I think you know we we do have the technology to to mm. get through it, which is the other mm. you know the other silver lining is that we've got the technology. You know, if you imagine mm. what it would have been like without. Oh. Yeah, Stay, stable collaboration tools or video calling tools. It yeah. would have been a whole twenty years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Even ten years ago, it would have been completely, yeah. completely different. So true, so true. But um, anyway, we must talk films. Rue, <laughs> over to you. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, no beating about the bush here. Uh, obligatory question uh, in terms of you know which is the better movie. <clears throat> Uh, we both know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, Terminator 1 or Terminator 2? Oh. So I'm of an age where Terminator 1 was available on pirate video to watch, Ooh. you know, when I was way too young to be watching watching it. And <laughs> right. Terminator 2 was, you know, end of the teenage years going out and, uh, and, and going to the cinema. So both have a special place in my heart. I can remember the cinema that I went to to see Terminator 2. Cool. Uh, but terminator one wins oh, um, because ooh, i think it's cool. it's yeah i thought i had you there and then no, <laughs> it's it's it. from under me. no yeah as, as, a, you know, as a horror one might be edging the lead now like, maybe it might be yeah yeah, yeah. Blame it. It, was, it was it was innovative it was uh, a horror film and yeah watching it and being really excited oh yeah we're gonna watch an 18 excellent <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's, yeah yeah it's brilliant yeah. Yeah. it's always funny when you're at that age and you're kind of there's that little, uh, I don't know how you describe it, but that sensation you get when you know you shouldn't be watching something because the BBFC said <laughs> said you're not allowed to watch it. And I yeah. remember, I remember uh, 
the first movie I snuck into the cinema to see uh, that had an age rating on it. I think it was, it might have been Spider-Man or something like that. And I was like 10 and it was a 12 or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. But I just thought, yeah, badass. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Oh, was that one of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans? Yes, it was the very first Spider-Man. I'm pretty sure it was that. It was either that or Tomb Raider. I can't remember which one of those. Oh, good God, and you were 10. Something like that, yeah, ten or eleven. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I feel so. so I, think, I think that's interesting, though, isn't it? You're, all of, the, the, the question about the Terminator One and Terminator Two is, you know, were you alive when Terminator One came out and old enough to actually watch it when it was, mm, that's a good you know, question. revolutionary and new and fresh, um, or yeah, I'm not? Just Googling it, or sorry, I'm just binging it. So the first Terminator was 1984, mm. yeah. and the second George one was. 1991 so there's quite a gap between there but yeah so i was i wasn't i wasn't born when either of them came out actually just looking at it so <laughs> but yeah, yeah you're, born nine, I, you're born 92 right i was born at the end of 91 uh oh, 91 right yeah well go. i say the end of september so that's two months after terminator 2 came out so yeah maybe that's just it maybe terminator 2 is a 90s kids film or something like that oh i don't know maybe. i mean it's it's always interesting you know with my daughter, she looks at anything and goes, "Oh, no, that's that's really old. That's really dated. I'm not going to watch that." You know. Mm-hmm. And you look at Terminator One. You go, "Well, the special effects aren't really all that, are they? Uh, they haven't stood up to the test of time." You look at the special effects in Terminator Two, and they actually have stood up pretty well. Yeah. Um, well and, totally. You know, that was always Terminator Two. The buzz was the special effects. Terminator yeah. One. It was the horror. It was the violence. It was the well, actually, this is actually just generally quite shocking, uh, which is why it was such a, mm. a big hit. And that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people have said about the horror, haven't they? Kat Green is a massive yeah. fan of it. She she said, yeah, it's a horror movie. That's why I love it so much. So mm. it's a very good point. But any other film passions, any franchises that you gravitate towards, like Star Wars or Star Trek or Bond, anything? Um, Yeah, I love the Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I do <laughs> love the Star Trek stuff as well. Mm. Um, But yeah, I... For me, I like yeah. Sci-fi is really is really both books and and films. I think like Blade Runner, Alien, mm, Alien is an awesome uh, yeah, an awesome set of films. Mm. Um, so yeah, but yeah, got all the all of the Star Wars ones. Yeah, even, it is, even the prequels. Even it's funny the prequels. to me how I get maybe it's maybe it's just a thing across the whole planet, but in our field of IT, Star Wars and Star Trek and sci-fi. Why do they go so hand in hand with the IT industry? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but folks seem to kind of within IT almost always be interested in either one of those. Hmm? Just an just an observation, yeah. and I don't know if that's just because everyone in the world is interested in either of them. But IT folks seem to gravitate towards. Well, them. maybe is it is it the technology? Uh, it could be. It could yeah. be definitely. Yeah, you are right though. There is there is a, a high proportion of of people who work in tech. You just see on Twitter sometimes you'll see somebody posting about one of those genres or or posting a picture of themselves wearing a, a Star Wars T shirt. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I had one on the other week on the podcast. It's very rare that I don't wear all black, but uh, <laughs> well, I could find. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it is interesting, isn't it? I think sci fi generally is, uh, you know, from from an IT. Oh, what was I watching last night? Johnny Mnemonic, terrible film. Oh, oh wow, it was an awful but, film. But William Gibson, great story. Um, but it was very interesting because at one point, 
you know they're doing stuff that's in virtual reality with essentially mm. a hollow lens on <laughs> and you kind of think wait a second this was made 25 years ago and they've got a hollow lens how did they get that before you know and it i think some Time of the travel. sci-fi things you know <laughs> the predictive nature of sci-fi you know it yeah. always used to be you know if one thing is different then it's science fiction isn't it as opposed mm. to science fact so the the genres that we like you know whether it's sort of the the more fantastical or the more sort of predictive you know the william Gibson cyberpunk type stuff neil stevenson mm. i mean it's just you could kind of read it and go that i can see that happening i can see how we could get to that mm. point and i think mm. that's probably why a lot of it people are into certain certain genres of science fiction because it is inspirational as to well actually yeah. you know, how many times have you heard inception referenced or oh, uh, minority report. oh look that looks like minority report interface yeah. you know those are the sorts of i guess concepts that people kind of hook onto and go we should develop minority report you know so we could just move things around or you know mm. yeah i think it's, it's inception's yeah, one of my very favorites love inception it's just got everything you want it's a christopher nolan film it's got an amazing cast it's got the Han zimmer soundtrack which you just can't beat a bit of zimmer yeah absolutely love it but, um, here's an interesting one though um, if you had to if you had to what would you choose Star Trek or Star Wars oh, oh I wouldn't choose Star Wars <laughs> yeah I, I don't know I, I think if you answer, if you ask me that on a different day of the week I, the answer would change oh really I really I think, don't know it depends what mood Star I'm in I guess I think Star Wars because it is, I mean it is just a classic story it's you know mm. it's a fairy tale but yeah. set in a completely alternate universe star yeah. trek you'd then be saying well which which one um you've got you've got far more sort of oh well i would choose you know the original as the the least likely to be the favorite but the you know the latest one discovery is the most likely to be a favorite and that would probably mm. depend on yeah, the day of the week that you're you're being asked. Exactly, exactly. You know, you're probably right from that point of view. I think Star Wars has to win it, doesn't it? But you're so right. I mean, it's even within Star Wars, it's so divisive about people who born at a certain time love the prequels, or, or more original fans can't stand them, um, and even the newer ones, the sequels, they're they're called out by a lot of more traditional fans and prequel fans for being too. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Two box ticking, which um, yeah. is a controversial point in itself. But um, but for me, me for my sins, I love them all. And and some yeah. people say to me, "What really? The prequels?" And yeah, there's yeah. But you didn't give me the chance like, to say I love them all, did you? But, um, <laughs> no, I didn't. know. <laughs> I'm rambling on. I'm rambling on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what's what's your take on that? Which I so yeah, I think Star Star Wars, but. You know, I can watch them all. I, I watched mm. all of the Star Trek ones, and uh, my family were just like, "Why are you watching this? This is terrible." It's like, <laughs> this is classic '60s TV. You know, look at the special Ooh. effects and the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the sets that they've got. I mean, this is brilliant, isn't it? It's it's yeah. culturally important, it uh, even if it is offensive in many many ways to uh, <laughs> many many different people. But it is mm. culturally, it's you know, culturally influential, and I think that's you know that's part of the. That's part of Star Trek is that the yeah. culture, the, the firsts that it had, um, really valuable in terms of, you know, the ground that it broke. 
Oh, completely, completely. And a lot of it hasn't aged well, but for the time, it was progressive uh, in, in the 60s, some of the ideas it had. Um, for, for example, the first ever episode, the, the pilot, The Cage, it, it, it highlights the point that it's unusual to have a woman on the bridge. Um, <laughs> Let alone a colored woman. It had the yeah, first exactly. multiracial kiss, didn't it? Exactly, exactly. But um, And now we've, we've, we've quite rightly got... Um, uh, women of color female leads of, of of star trek shows which is it's a it's great to see how far we've come it really is. It, is it is fantastic but anyhow um before we wind things up i want to thank you for your time al it's always a pleasure to speak to you we'll be speaking again very soon because we've got our user group little plug there for the security and compliance <laughs> user group this, yep. on wednesday although it's pointless because it'll already happen by the time this drops last, last wednesday of every month last wednesday of every month that's yeah exactly i'm i'm waffling so much today i do that sometimes <laughs> but um before we go anything else you'd like to say to our audience and how can they reach you if they want to get in touch uh, so I'm on Twitter uh, at Al underscore Erdley. I'm on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out and come along to a user group. doesn't have to be ours. Mm. Just go to any user group or any any of the free conferences um, and say hi. Mm. You know, just meet people. That's the most, yeah. the most valuable thing that any community event can do is to introduce mm. you to people. Yeah, and watch Grey Hat Beard because it's awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. sure as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> cracking well let's wind things up thanks to everyone for joining us we have been cloud conversations uh this is rue i'm pete our wonderful guest al check us out on twitter at cloud rue and pete uh give us a, a like on youtube and a subscribe and we will catch you down the road on the next show take care cheers guys Bye.